Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest and this is Ben Bo's podcast. Today's interview is with Coach Josh Smith. Josh is the head coach of the women's soccer team at Rogers State University in Oklahoma. I've known Josh for about a decade. I helped train him as a teacher and worked with him through his first two years of teaching and coaching high school. And he's since uh, moved on to several different university positions, been incredibly successful at everyone, uh, not only in terms of wins and losses, but in terms of building a winning culture. So in this interview, we talk about leadership, coaching, and building team culture. Enjoy. Josh, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. We were just talking off air. I said, let me hit record. You were going to start. Um, you were about to say something about how your coaching philosophy has changed. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Ben. Yeah. So for us, I think, or for me, I think my coaching philosophy has just evolved over the years from coaching high school boys my first year, then to high school girls, and then coaching junior college to NAIA Division II, like all that track. You know, it's been a journey um, for sure. And I think, you know, early on in my coaching career, I think it was very results driven and very much like wanting to wanting to win, wanting to win. And, you know, I think I said earlier this year to my assistant is I want to win, but I want to love coming to work every day. And I want our girls to love coming to training every day. And we want that environment that's cohesive. And so we've changed a lot. I think of our recruiting philosophy and our team philosophy from let's just find the best player and build to let's find the best player that's going to fit our program and build. And so there's a lot of good players we've passed on, um, but I feel comfortable passing on them when I know the kids we are bringing in, you know, that can really move us forward. And so I think being focused on a process and being focused on a, um, a personality type and a, a kid that'll fit who we are and our identity and the values we have in our program is really what I think the last, I would say the last four, three or four years of my coaching, my head coaching career, at least have been focused on even more so. Um, you know, and as I talk to my coaching staff every week about kids, we're looking at it goes back to that, you know, and when I call coaches, it's not, is the kid a good player? Because I can, I can find that out pretty quickly by watching them. You know, I want to know that they're a good person, you know, what's their work ethic like, what are they doing when their team isn't around? What are they doing when their team is around? What's their communication like? What's their discipline like? And those are the types of stuff that we begin to really, or we've begun to really value even more than just the wins. Cause if we get the right kids, the wins will take care of themselves. So yeah, 100%. I think that's the number one change or, or growth that happens in a, person, in a person's coaching career, right? In your 20s, you're just burning with competitiveness. And, and I think about my own journey as a coach, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it's true. It's all about, it was all about me. It was all about, I want to win. I want this, you know, I want to have a good record. I want to get the next job, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and the longer you do it, the more you realize it's just about relationships. You're building long-term relationships with people, um, hopefully, you, you know, with young people that you're helping hopefully to become better people in life. Um, and, you know, Mike Krzyzewski is the most successful NCAA coach of all time. He's been coaching 40 years. I think he's won five championships. So if you look right. at it from a wins and losses, you know, we have to championship or bust perspective, 35 of his 40 years coaching have been failures. But of course, that's the exact wrong way to look at it. It's the relationships you're developing. Um, the, the, uh, I know it's kind of a funny word to use, but, but the amount of love that you're bringing into your life that, you know, 
I care about you. I'm trying to help you be a better person. You care about the team. You care about what we're building. You care about your teammates. And long-term, those are the things that you're going to remember. And, and I wonder if you've had the same experience, which is once I realized that, mm-hmm. I won more than I'd ever had before in terms of wins and losses, not just off the court, but like we won more as well. Right. No, absolutely. And I think that's even stuff that we present in the recruiting process now is, you know, is like, we want to celebrate your stuff. But like, for me, seeing my kids be successful in PA school, med school, law school, like, you know, I've gotten some invitations to weddings now or like birth announcements of kids makes me feel old. But like, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome, though. And it's like those kids that when they sit in our office with their parents, it's like, you know, trying to imagine, like, how do we get you from here to where you're successful in your career? And I tell them all the time, I tell them, you're not going to be in college the rest of your life. You're not going to play soccer the rest of your life. But what are we going to do to make you successful? Because, you know, ultimately, my number one's not your athletics. My number one's not your academics. My number one is to help you be successful with whatever career you enter in. Those are two mediums to get you there. And, you know, and so we're going to both of those are going to help you along the way. And so I think absolutely what you're saying, I think it's, it's been awesome to see. And I'm looking forward to that, even with the girls we have coming back on our team and some of the recent alums and then, you know, girls that I've kept up with over the years from moving to different schools. And, um, you know, so we're, we're excited to, I think, finally put roots in here and kind of see some consistency and see these see these kids grow, you know, which is really exciting for us. Yeah, 100 percent. In fact, shortly before I left Namibia and came back to the States, one of my former players is now he's sort of a star in the, in the professional league there. And he's also, you know, volunteer coaching a high school team. And he asked me to come by and, you know, help out a little bit, um, which was such a great experience. Once some of your former players are coaches themselves. And, and for me, this was especially great because I got to go to practice and like see Jack running the kids through mm-hmm. the same drills or, or <laughs> play similar things that I used to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I told him afterwards, not that he'd, he'd done anything, but do this. And I said, look, at, at the end of the day, for everybody on this court, basketball is going to end some more quickly than others, but it's going to end. They'll mm-hmm. always remember how you made them feel. Sure. So sure. I, I just connect with, with, with that aspect of it with what you were yeah. saying. No, that's let's, awesome. Let's let's talk. Uh, I want to talk your record in terms of you know. Just I was looking over your bio. Obviously, we've known each other for a long time, but I hadn't kept up with you know how's how's Coach Smith doing year to year, and everywhere you've gone, um, you've turned the program around and you've won, and you've gone to some programs that hadn't experienced winning very often. What um, what do you attribute that to? Um, I honestly, it goes, I think it goes back to where we started the conversation is making sure we find the right kids that fit who we are, you know, and some of the programs I took over, I was called by coaching mentors telling me, don't go there. You're going to kill your coaching career type deal. And it was just like anywhere you go, you roll up your sleeves and you work hard. You can get so far, but then if you get the right people on board with you, you can go even further. And I think that's, was really exciting for me. You know, we get the the junior college level and it was one type of player that we were recruiting and you know we go to the NAIA level in New Mexico in a small town you know kind of off the beaten path as it were and you know we're looking for a different kid as well and so I think learning the type of kid that was going to be successful in each program was really important and then trying to recruit that kid 
and not recruit a kid that didn't fit who we were as a university or a junior college and to try to force our brand on them, but find a kid that would embody our brand as to what it was as a university. And so I think doing that was really successful. I think, um, you know, when I was at the NAI school, we actually brought in a lot of kids that were already previously friends and it was giving them an opportunity to carry friendships from high school or club into college and um, give them an opportunity. Um, but early in my career too, like a lot of those kids we brought in didn't play for the big name clubs. They didn't play for that. They played on a mom and pop team or they played on a high school or they played on a rec or a super small club. And it was a lot of miles being driven, a lot of, you know, um, a lot of hard work, but at the end of the day, it came back to the same principle that hard work and culture is what we're going to focus on. And we're not going to focus on whether you're the best player or the worst player on our team. We're going to compete every day. And I'm not afraid to bench our best player to, you know, allow another kid to step onto the field and, you know, just seeing the kids buy into that mentality, I think has really been the biggest reward, I think for me as a coach, but then I think it's a lot of what's attributed to the success that we've had is not as much what I've done. It's more what the kids have done together, you know, and being willing to put egos aside and just kind of, I guess, work for something new, but then, you know, I love being the underdog, Ben, like I love it and it's fun, you know, and it's just, preaching that culture into the kids as like, you know, we're going to be the underdog. Let's, we got, we don't have a target on our back. Let's put a target on everybody else's back. Let's get after them. And, you know, let's, let's grind and let's work and the ability to just tell the kids after, you know, we beat my, at the NAI school, we beat some teams we had never beat before. And, you know, just telling them, Hey, this is might not be a big deal to anybody else, but for our school, it's the first time we've ever done it. And just building that belief inside of kids that weren't recruited or, going against that team that told them no. Well, they told you no, let's prove them wrong. Let's do it, you know? And just getting that mentality of being the underdog and working hard, you know, and just believing in doing things the right way and in the process and not focused on complaining and negativity. And, you know, you surround yourself with positive people that have a common goal and a lot can happen, you know, even if you're not the most talented. And I, I hardly ever coached the most talented team, you know, but just seeing their hard work, it, it can, you know, it sounds silly, but it can, it can beat talent when you get the right kids working hard together. And they're all on the same page. And I think that's been a lot of the success that, you know, we've seen over the years. And now that I'm in a different type of university that, you know, this school here really just draws kids here, you know, from the area. And so now it's, now it's not as much that I have to go and look around every corner for a kid and do all that stuff. Now it's picking the right kids still. So it's the same idea, but a little bit different of a process. And I think that's that's what we're focused on here and hopefully we'll see some of that growth too yeah so let's that's great stuff let's dive into that when you're so when you're talking to your assistant coaches about recruiting and profile personality type or personality traits that you want to see in somebody who's who's on the team what are you looking for yeah so we've actually even went through this with our leadership group with our team you know, that's something we can talk about a little bit too, if you want, but like, you know, we've created a leadership dynamic inside of our program to cultivate leadership on our team. And we asked them, what do you want in the program? You know, this is, this is partly my program, but I'm only one of 30 people in this program. Like, what are we going to do to get there? And, you know, the, the number one word was they have to be competitive. They have to be competitive and they have to want to compete every single day they step on the field, whether that's training or games or whatever. And so, I think just that competitiveness is the first thing. And then we, we create a little act where the hill cats, so we create a little thing for cats to kind of keep it easy for them to remember. But the second thing was accountability and being willing to be accountable on the field to your teammates. You know, when I took over the program, they might get information from their center back and somebody got their feelings hurt because their center back yelled out. And I was like, that's not your center back's fault. That's your fault. You're the information. 
process the information. You don't need to put your negative spin on a tone or something like that. And, you know, we had to teach some kids how to communicate better, but a part of communication is being able to listen well as well. And so, you know, just the accountability on the field and accountability off the field with grades, you know, some of the girls grades were bad. And we set benchmarks and goals and then we helped them get there, you know, but just accountability in the classroom and then accountability socially as well. Like off the field, we're going to be working together. We're not working against each other behind closed doors and things like that. And, you know, problems will come up. Every family's got issues, but keeping a lot of that stuff in house, you know, we don't need to broadcast our dirty laundry to other programs or other people and just trying to grow accountability. And then, you know, a sense of togetherness is, was the T is like, we're, we're doing this all together, you know, and that's going to be in good and bad, you know, and it's going to be off the field and on the field. And, you know, um, you know, you get some exciting things in people's families, you get some tough times in people's families, and that still extends to us as well, just supporting people. And then just a sense of selflessness, I think is new for the girls too. And just understanding that, you know, you were the star on your high school team. That's great. So is everybody else that's here, you know, and you're used to a roster of 21, we're going to have a roster of close to 30. So now you're going to have to do the other things and you're going to have to be selfless. And, you know, we had a conversation with one girl in the office and I was extremely proud of her afterwards, but we sat her down and she asked me why she wasn't playing. And I told her her body language was terrible. Like on the bench, she couldn't cheer her team. We upset a national tournament team. We beat another team we hadn't beat in a couple of years. And she looked mad at the world. And we told her that and she was like, fair enough. And she changed it and it changed our whole bench dynamic. And um, that's really important to me as well is like, you know, how you cheer on your teammates, whether you're getting the minutes you want or not. And I always tell the girls, you need to, um, you need to understand where you're at. You need to embrace where you're at, but you don't need to settle for it. So if you're a practice player, be the best practice player, you know, and so forth. And so I think that's kind of what we've looked at and what we look for now when we get to recruit is do we see that, you know, in a recruit that we're looking at? And they might not have all four pillars, but they better understand how to get there. And they better understand we're going to hold them accountable to get there, you know. And when, when we call club coaches and when I look at that, I don't like – I had emails from kids the other day, three off a team, and I showed up to the game and screaming at the ref, screaming at the coach, screaming at each other, slapping the ground when things didn't go their way. And I was like, there's not a chance. I'm looking at this kid. The coach was like, well, this school, that school, and this school, looking at him. And I said, great, they've got options, you know, but it's not with us, you know. And so it's just being honest with them. But, you know, and there's certain things that we can, you can usually tell by somebody's body language and the reaction to conversations, you know, if they're open to being a part of a program like this, or if they're in it for themselves and for the all-conference awards and the accolades and those types of things. And, um, you know, and it's just deciding which, which girls are actually going to be bought into all of that. Oh, I love it. So, I mean, so many great directions to go there. It's interesting just thinking about one of the last things you said there in terms of receiving feedback. Mm-hmm. That was the last couple of years I was at Teacher Corps, I wonder, we may have even had a conversation about this with the team teachers at some point of trying to do something in the application process so that we can measure how well does an applicant receive and act on feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that sense, I mean, the first thing you mentioned was competitiveness. How do you go about measuring competitiveness in a recruit? Yeah, that's... Honestly, like that's a really hard piece for me to answer. Like as far as how we measure it, I think a lot of it is I tell my assistant, I got to trust my gut. As funny as that sounds, like it's just watching. You can just see it usually like, you know, a ball's about to go out of play. They have a chance to maybe get it, maybe not get it. Are they hustling for it? Do they quit on the ball? Right. They have a 50, 50 challenge out of the air. You know, do they want to go win that thing or do they want to back out of it? You know, their team is down by a goal. 
are they just throwing in the towel and being like, ah, whatever, we're just going to lose the game? Or are they going to try to motivate their team to get forward and to do what they need to do and take risks, you know? And so I think just the ability to, to have them want to, and it's, it's hard to really, I think, quantify that. It's more something that you just kind of see the passion and the desire on the field, you know, and you can kind of tell when someone's throwing in the towel, you know, it's hard to fake it for 90 minutes, you know? And so you can usually see, you know, pretty quickly, which kids are motivated or, you know, even when you're down by a couple of goals, you know, or when the ref goes against you, how do you handle it? You know, how are you still competitive or do you get your mind taken out of the game? You know, and those are all elements we can't necessarily control, you know, as far as the referee and as far as the crowds and all that type of stuff, but we can control how we compete, you know? And so you kind of see it. So I would say for me, it's less measurable and more just kind of trusting instincts and kind of what I see. Love it. The, the T was it togetherness. Yeah. The T stands for? So you mentioned, look, we're going to have problems. Every family has a problem. We keep that in-house. Um, we're going to deal with it. So problem comes up, interpersonal dynamic between two players comes up. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's something that was new, I think, for the girls and how we handled that is we want me and my coaching staff to be a resource for them where it's not you're going to come to me and instantly I'm going to go rip a player because I heard this information. No, it's you come to me and I'm like, all right, what's going on? Talk to me. They talk to me about what's going on. And I'm like, okay, well, what have you tried to do already? Okay, well, what could you do? What else could you do, et cetera? And I always try to get the player to go talk to that player first, you know, and it's, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to go attack that player. Maybe it's just have a conversation with them. I'll ask the player, okay, you're mad at this girl. Do you know where she's from? Do you know how many siblings she's got? What are her goals in life? And they're like, I don't know. I was like, well, it starts with a relationship. You know, you have to have a relationship and you have to build some trust. And once you have trust in place, conflict is a whole lot easier because you have some trust that you can now discuss your conflict. And so just trying to build those relationships, you know, with, with girls, or we may have a girl that's, you know, strong with a few teammates. And I might tell my captain or my assistant coach, Hey, go buy them lunch or go buy them coffee today. Just go talk to them, hang out with them, get to know them, see what's going on. You know, and we've had, we've seen that go a long way, I think. And so, you know, I think, I think it just goes back to the communication piece, you know, and I very rarely, after we've started that process and begun to think through it, I very rarely had to have a second conversation in my office and I have a few times and I'll pull both players in here and I'll be like, let's figure this thing out. You know, we're not going to let this fester, but that's been very rare. I probably count that on one hand, the amount of times I've done that in my whole head coaching career. You know, I think a lot of times people make a lot of assumptions inside of conflict and when they can sit down and just discuss and communicate, they realize, okay, just because this kid, this kid, and this kid thought you meant this, that's not what you actually meant. And they can discuss and they can move forward and, you know, begin to be adults about how they handle issues. And, you know, I think the players see our coaching staff do the same thing, you know, with that, we try to model that. If I have a problem with one of the girls, I'm not going to three other girls about it. I'm calling that kid in and I'm saying, let's talk. And, I'm not assuming that I have all the information. It's a discussion. It's, you know, how do we get on the same page? The goal isn't to get rid of you. The goal is to let's come to a common ground. So we move forward and you understand me. I understand you, but at the same time, we have a solution, not just a bunch of understood nothing, you know? And so it's, it's important. And that's, I think the goal, you know, even when I have girls come with problems to me inside of communication is what's your goal that you want out of this? What's your solution? And work towards that because if there is no goal and there is no solution, you can talk forever with nothing happening. And so I think it's just kind of the proactive communication. Oh, I love it. I'm just, again, just agreeing with everything you're saying. It's funny, you know, one of the things that I loved about the team teachers in, with Teacher Corps was they're the type of people that they're gonna identify a problem 
and bring you a solution. Sure, absolutely. You know, those are, those are just great people to work with. Um, okay, let's talk, you mentioned captains, leadership. What, what does effective leadership look like for you? Um, you know, I think it, in a team setting, I think it varies a little bit. You know, I think like as far as effective leadership, I want different personalities inside of our leadership. You know, we want our leadership to be able to pull in different people on our team. You know, whether it's people that, you know, whether that's socially, academically, you know, we don't want three girls from the same friend group all inside of our leadership, you know, for our team. And so I think it's being able to access the whole entire team through our leadership. You know, I think, um, you know, I think it's also people that people that are willing to kind of bring up their opinions as well with the coaching staff, you know, and be willing to speak and be willing to talk on behalf of the team when there is uncertainty, you know, and not just kind of let conflict settle, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think that's super important. I think, you know, I think an effective leader just models a lot too, you know, and they model what we want. And that doesn't mean it's all the same. You know, we're going to have some leaders that are super outspoken. We're going to have some leaders that are really quiet and they lead by example, you know, and we're going to have leaders that are going to wait an hour afterwards to help the freshmen put stuff away. And then we're going to have other leaders that are going to call you out on what you're doing wrong, you know? And so you're going to have a balance in leadership. And that's what even in our coaching staff, we want, I don't want two or three assistants that are the same as me because otherwise we're not going to have the impact with our players the way we could have, you know? And so I think it's the same thing with, with our leadership and, I think leaders have to be able to listen. Leaders have to be able to, you know, understand people. But I think it comes back down to relationships as well. You know, leaders have to be able to build relationships. It's really hard to lead people that you don't know, you know, and it's really hard to lead people through hard times if you don't have the relationship and you haven't communicated with them as well. You know, it's easy to lead when you're winning games. It's harder to lead when you're losing. And so you've got to be able to do that, you know, and I think it goes back to relationships and I don't know, kind of a convoluted answer for you, maybe, but I think it's, you know, I think it's those facets are super important. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's one of the old, I guess, famous quotes about teaching is students won't care to learn until they learn that you care. And it's the same thing with what you're saying Mm -hmm. now. Uh, And kind of just to expand on that, I think, you know, my, my PhD is in educational leadership that a lot of thinking, researching, teaching about leadership. It's the number one thing it almost always comes down to. I mean, there's a lot of factors, but the, the most important one is trust. Sure. If, if there's a feeling of trust between the people who make up the group, the organization, the team, whatever, mm-hmm. then you have a good foundation to be able to handle problems, be able to handle losing, et cetera. If trust isn't there or trust is being undermined, mm-hmm. boy, it gets so much tougher. Yeah. I don't know if you've read a book by Patrick Lencioni, the, the five, five dysfunctions of a team. Mm-mm, tell me about it. But yeah, I mean, I would have to go back and look at the five dysfunctions through it. It's been a minute since I've read it, but the, the foundation's trust is what it comes back down to is, you know, the absence of trust is one of the foundational things that's missing from a lot of teams. And you have to start there before you can, you know, I think the next one's the fear of conflict. And it talks about how you have trust before conflict. You know, once you have trust, conflict's easier and it builds all the way up. So you get to more like being attentive to results and things like that, but it starts back with trust. So it goes back to what you're saying. And it's a really good book, you know, on leadership as a whole. Yeah. I'll I'll check it out. It's interesting. Once, if trust isn't in place, conflict is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. If trust is in place and and you have sort of official or unofficial guidelines, as you're talking about for handling conflict, conflict is actually 
can often be a good thing because you're going to get shit clarified. Mm-hmm. You sure. know? Um, okay. So going back to leadership, coaching, being a head coach is such an interesting combination of so many different jobs and so many different responsibilities. How do you think about leadership personally for, for yourself as the head coach leading this? It's almost, you know, sort of an organization that you're leading in terms of women's soccer team at, a, at an institution. How do you think about your leadership personally? Yeah, I would say that's changing every day, right? Like it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I have here, I have an assistant coach that's here every day. I have two volunteer assistants that work quite a bit with us. And then we have, you know, we'll have about 30 girls in the fall. And then, you know, on top of that, we have some other responsibilities inside of our department and all that kind of stuff. I think inside of our organization, it comes back down to the same principles kind of that I brought up with the girls, you know, um, that we were, we were talking about with the leadership, you know, is I have to be willing to, you know, put ego aside, pride aside, you know, it's about listening. It's about building relationships. And there's moments that you have to be the leader and you have to push on forward, but it's a lot easier to do that. If you have that trust and that, you know, and those things in place already with your team. And so I think it goes back to, I talk about inside of my coaching philosophy is just a very relational approach to coaching but that maintains very high expectations with where we want to go. And I think that's the same thing that, you know, we'll tell the girls is I'm going to work to build relationships with you. I expect you to work hard on the field, but I'm always going to work just as hard as you are, you know, or harder and try to be that example with whatever we're going to do, you know? And I think that's something that it's easier for me to ask of the girls if we're doing it ourselves and we're modeling it ourselves. And it's not something where they can only get a hold of me between the hours of nine and five, you know, it's, no, you got something going on. Your car broke down at two o'clock in the morning. Let's come change your tire. Let's get a tow truck. Let's do what we need to do. Right. Kid goes to the hospital. We're there with them. You know, it's, you know, it's all those things. I mean, an extension, you know, but I think, you know, our leadership, you know, or my leadership is, it's, I would say it's, it's a lot less about me and it's more about how do we manage the organization as a whole and let it, let it work kind of without me almost, you know? And so, I don't necessarily want to always be the face, you know, there's moments where that has to be the case, but I want the girls to be able to make decisions. Like it sounds silly, but like little things, like I'm not going to pick out their uniform. They're going to come in the office and we're going to design it together. And they're the ones that are going to wear it, not me. And so like, let's let them have a say in the little things, right? Like that kind of stuff, you know, but then, you know, listening to them too. So like, you know, they want our conferences. It doesn't have a lot of travel. They want to do a little more travel. So we're going to plan a trip to the West coast and we're going to do play some games out there and we're going to, you know, get that experience for them as well. You know, some of the girls, you know, are, we're, we're struggling with leadership. And so we actually read through a book last spring by a guy named John Gordon called the hard hat. And then we re- we're reading through one right now with our team. We just finished it called the ideal team player by Patrick Lencioni as well. And just going through leadership principles, you know, and, um, with them. And the first one we read with just our leadership group. And this one we read with the whole team and just trying to understand that. Um, and then just, you know, the other big thing our team talked about was wanting an identity, you know, and previously they had kind of changed who they were for every team they played against and not, this is who we are and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, not playing to basically playing to win, not, not playing to lose kind of idea. And so I think just listening to those different things and being able to implement it and then, you know, and then putting in the hours, I think, in leadership is really important, you know, as well behind the scenes, you know, a lot of recruiting calls, there's nights that, I mean, last night I was up until probably about 1230, one o'clock at night, you know, just doing some of the stuff we had to do and, you know, and whatnot. And then on top of that too, I think our leadership goes into our community as well and getting our kids to, they've done stuff with Habitat for Humanity, or they've done stuff with some of the schools around here. They've done stuff with, 
you know, different places, you know, I work with a club as well, you know, and so it's just, now was a big decision on what club I worked with is I wanted to be in the community. I wanted to be right here. I didn't want to be driving 30 minutes away. I might make a little bit more money, but it's not about that. You know, it's about like just growing the game here and growing the kids and the personalities and all that. And then, you know, I think leadership's also towards the other programs, you know, at a university, you know, how do you support, you know, do you go to the other games? Do you, do you talk to the other coaches when their teams are doing well? You know, do you, you know, build relationships with your administration, you know, the academic side, you know, I've set up conversations with different professors and deans and things like that. Cause I want them to know we're going to support them too, you know? And so I think it's, it's not two separate entities either. It's understanding that in this type of a role, it's how do we have cohesion between different areas, you know, and how do we have, for lack of a better word, how do we create this into like just a well-oiled machine that it wouldn't matter if I'm here or not, somebody could come in and, you know, keep it, keep it rolling and keep it successful. So. Nice. So talk to me about, about the leadership team. What does that look like? Yeah. So um, I think each semester it's looked a little different just depending on who we had, you know, this semester we kind of, tailed it off at the end a little bit for some reasons um but for the most part we meet about every other week and so i'll have one person that's in charge of community service one person that's in charge of you know our leadership meetings as a whole one person that's in charge of um like our social events one person that's in charge of more just relationships on the team one usually our freshman that's more in charge of like the gear and inventory side that's not quite as fun but they get that job for a year because i really want a freshman on that committee as well because I want to have a voice from every class that we have in there. And so we have a minimum of four on the committee. I think we have five or six this year. Really, it's just a time where like I make them put the agenda together. They put all that. They give it to me the day before uh, we sit down and we talk and we go through, you know, OK, what are we doing in community service over the next few weeks? What are we doing? in, you know, what are we doing for our team event this month? What are we you know? What's the pulse of the team? Do we have kids that are homesick right now? Kids that have you know, had a death in the family, kids that have had a, like a hard breakup when they first got to college or something else going on, you know, what's, what's going on, what's the pulse, you know, of things, and, you know, cause the more I know as a coach, it helps me relate to the kids better as well. And so um, they've understood that it's not an, I gotcha game. It's really, we're working together and, you know, working for that. And then, you know, freshmen might be, you know, with her, it was kind of like, you know, what are we wearing this week? What are we, you know, what do you want to mix up our training gear? You know, what do we want to do with that? But just kind of gives them a voice. And then when we get done, it's like, all right, now what do y'all have for me? Like, is there stuff that you need to communicate with me that we're missing as a staff? You know, is there, is there miscommunications? Is there problems? Are there, are there good things? Are there things you liked about training? Didn't like, you know, what do you think about our game stuff? And so really just gives them a platform that they know every two weeks they're going to have that discussion. Um, but then on top of that, I mean, it's not uncommon for us to have two, three, four girls a day stop by the office, you know, at least and just talk about what's going on. They know they don't have to wait for those meetings either, you know, but they at least have consistency in knowing this is a platform that they always have with us as well. How do you cultivate effective leadership with young adults? Yeah, honestly, that's, I would say that's a big area that I've been trying to grow, like as a coach in just because I feel like everywhere I've coached at, I've coached totally different kids. I've to coached at a junior college level. Um, I coached at an NAIA school and a four-year school in New Mexico, where a large majority of our roster were on financial aid and things like that. And now I'm coaching at a place where a lot less of our kids are on financial aid. And, you know, they've, they have great support systems at home and you know, it's just, it's very, it's been different everywhere I've been. And so how I've had to cultivate leadership and how we have as a program is, I would say, been totally different. And it's a conversation I had with my AD is like this job in some ways has stretched me because, you know, the last six years I've dealt with a different kid that I'm dealing with here. And that's not a bad thing. That just stretches me as a person as to, you know, 
how do we make this effective? And the other schools, it was just show you that, show them that I love and show them that I care. And it was easy to begin to grow the leadership inside of the girls. Here, it's been a little bit different. You know, it's been, and that doesn't necessarily mean bad. It's just been like, I've had to challenge myself into how do we do this? And so it's been to show them we love them, but kind of honestly to live it out, to demonstrate it to them, you know, it's kind of like, I'm asking you to do this and this is how we're doing this here. Um, it's also been something where it's just been, it's been more like, instead of attacking leadership itself, it's been more attacking the individual relationships. Like my car rides home, I'll call two or three of the girls after a game or four of the girls after a game or whatever, and just kind of give them feedback and just build a relationship side and then encourage them from there to build it out. So like our leadership team in the fall, they all, every day they had to text a different girl on the, or not a different, they had to text a girl on the team that they thought did awesome at training. Sounds really small, but it was like, I just needed them to build, start building those relationships with each other. Cause I realized that I could tell them what good leadership is, but it wasn't taking ground. They, I had to show them and they had to show each other. And so it was kind of one of those things where it started to grow and they did a really good job with it. You know, I thought, and you know, sometimes I think we had five kids on there. Sometimes all five of them would text me the same name and that kid got five texts that night, you know, but then some trainings, it was five different kids, you know, that they reached out to. And I told them to be real about it. I said, don't just text somebody as a pity text. Like I want it to be somebody that you actually thought did well in training that day, et cetera. And, you know, I thought that then that grew, you know, from there. And so I think cultivating it has been different. I would say, depending on what type of kid that I'm working with, but I think here it started with the relationships and showing them that we're going to listen to what they have to say as well. But they also understand that we're not necessarily changing everything based off what they're telling us. And I think that was a growing point for them as well. And they've begun to understand that, you know, this stuff's going to be different. You know, our expectation is going to be different, but getting them on board and I've had to have a lot more communication about the process here than I have other places. Like I had to put up a whole calendar and explain my training cycles and all this stuff because it was so different you know, than the previous staff and the previous staff, it's not that they weren't good coaches. We're just so different coaching philosophy wise that to get these kids on board, we had to explain a lot more of the why. And so I think just being willing to do that, you know, has been important. It's, it's funny, you know, when, when coaches talk to each other, you can kind of pick up on a, a few things. So I don't know if this is correct or not, but I'm guessing you, you probably have to manage parents a little bit more. Uh, at your current spot as well a little bit but honestly Ben like not a lot like I am a very much if I get I've gotten a few emails or calls I screenshot it and send it to the kid and I say talk to your parent let me know what's going on you know and I because, love that yeah can I tell the kid I'm not mad at you like that's fine and like I've got great relationships with most of our parents but if there's problems they come through you right unless I'm doing something that's immoral or unethical or something like that then they absolutely should come to me or go over my head but at the same time, I expect them, the girls to come to me. And it's been even, honestly, we had to break a culture of every time there was a problem, a girl running to the AD about it and getting them to, you know, come to me. And so it was almost more fixing the process of our girls, which I think they've done a great job of, you know, for the most part with all of that. But, you know, we've have had some parent issues, but, you know, it hasn't been anything over the top. Honestly, my hardest parent school was probably when I had to carry my NAI school, I had to carry 53 girls on the roster. And, that was, that was a nightmare because there's no way you're keeping 53 kids happy. Just not a chance. So. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, one of the things that I love about what you're doing is you're, you're teaching people how to deal with interpersonal relationships and more importantly, conflict. And so much of the way that we do that today in society is 
I have a problem with Josh. I have a problem with Coach Smith. I'm going to talk to the AD. I have a problem with Coach Smith. I'm going to talk to my mom. I have a problem with my teammate. I'm going to talk to assistant coach. I'm going to, you know, it's mm-hmm. rather than, and I would say most places I've worked, you know, w- working with professionals, with adults, et cetera, that's been the atmosphere. I have a problem with person A. I'm going to go talk about it to person B. And helping people understand how to approach somebody that you're, you have an issue with, talk to them about it, have that, for lack of a better word, confrontation, confronting the issue, hopefully not the person. It's so healthy. 99 times out of 100, it's going to go better than you think it's going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, in your mind, you're creating this fight that's going to happen, this argument that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're building trust. When I go right. to somebody else, I'm taking trust away. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I, yeah. Go ahead. I think it's been cool. Yeah, no, I think it's been cool too. Like our girls have even seen that. Not my last school in particular, like we had a couple like issues where like I even, me and the coach in a game might have butted heads in a game, you know, but two of them were my closest, probably two of my closest friends in coaching too, you know? And so like, but after the game, we, you know, that's the first thing we did was like, let's, let's just talk a little, like, what did we see that was so different in this moment? And the next day the girls are like, Oh, you're still friends with that coach. I'm like, yeah, we talked and we're good. Like, you know, we all have, we all have our moments that we could be better. Right. And so it's just like letting them know that we're human too, with all of that, being able to demonstrate that to them too. So. Yeah. hundred percent. How do you think about practice in organizing practice time? Yeah. Um, so I think organizing practice and the practice time, it's been interesting. Like practice time for me, like we're going to set our times around our girls' schedules. Right. And so like, I very much look at their academic side. I know some coaches say, here's our block. And if it takes you an extra year to graduate, it takes you an extra year to graduate, but you're going to be there for that block. And so I'm a little different. I'll look like we have kids in nursing school and stuff. We'll work with them on that. I want them to be able to do both. And that's what I'll tell them in the recruiting process is all I ask is for clear communication from them don't text me the day before and say, I'm out. Let me know at the beginning of the semester. Here's my schedule. Here's what's going on. Here's this stuff. And then we work with you on it. Right. And so, um, so I think the time-wise it's just very academic focused as well, but at the same time, don't tell me you're a science major and you want to take art appreciation at during our training time. Then I might ask you to pick something different, you know, but um, for our schedule, you know, this is for our training schedule. This is a big area that I'm trying to grow in as a coach as a whole. Like I feel very confident in like how I organize the schedule and how we, set up our training from like our warm up to our technical work, to our small side, to our full side, to our application. But one of my biggest complaints, I think with our schedule is that I don't think that the NCAAs or the NCAA um, takes, they always talk about the student athlete experience, but I don't think they actually care about the student athlete experience like they should. Um, I think they care a lot more about the money and what makes things easy. Um, And that's been frustrating for us because like we play on Friday night and then we play Sunday afternoon. There is no way in the world that we should be playing two 90 minute games within less than 48 hours of each other. And I have kids, some of my starters average seven to eight and a half miles in a game. Like there is no way you should be doing that that quickly apart. And so we had a minimum should be Thursday, Sunday or Wednesday, Saturday at a minimum. Um, And so I've had to change a lot of what our weekly cycles look like to try to maximize our players output in the games and minimize our injury um and so that's changed a lot of how we like i've gotten gps trackers on our girls now they wear these like they look kind of like a sports bra but they wear it either over or under their training top we monitor how much mileage they're putting into every session what the 
intensity of that mileage is, you know, I might have two five mile kids and one only sprinted for 400 yards and one sprinted for two and a half miles. So the wear on their body has been very different. Right. And so monitoring that monitoring, it's really the sports performance and the sports, you know, science side of things. And so I've been trying to grow myself and do a lot of research. You know, I talked to the head of sports performance for FC Dallas pro team a few weeks ago, just trying to understand what they look like in their cycles every week when they have one game or two games and, you know, we have some limitations on subs, not as much as the pro world. So that's, that's changed a lot of how we train, you know? And so for us right now, we play Friday, Sunday, Monday will be off Tuesday, supposedly supposed to be our harder day, but it's not for me anymore. Just all the research shows that that's the heaviest day on the girl's legs. And so we are very cognizant of that as we get into Tuesdays and then Wednesdays, we can work them out, but we have to be smart with that too. And a lot of coaches will go hard Wednesdays, but then two days later is Friday when you kick off. And so you want to be really smart with the load that you put on their legs. Um, and so we're, we try to really get a good balance of what that looks like and which phases of our training should simulate games versus which phases of our training should more, more deal with the technical aspects of it. And, you know, the girls can relax a little bit, um, at least with the physical demands. And so it's definitely a very tough way to go through our season. I think I was a big proponent of looking at a spring and fall model. Uh, which I thought would help with our training. Um, and there was a big push, but watching us go through that this spring um, where we played in the spring, I think it was very difficult for our seniors. I think it was very difficult for the student athletes to be focused all the way through April when they're dealing with graduation and applying to grad schools and PT schools and everything else, which I understand that as well. And so I think there has to be a way that we can manage whether that's two games, one week, one game, the next spacing more. Cause I think as we do plan our practices week to week, we can get more out of our students and protect their bodies a lot more. I mean, ACL surgeries are on the rise, like other surgeries are on the rise right now. And we're just, we're not providing our student athletes with the resources that we need to make a success or a successful training cycle and also maximize their game potential as well. And so I, I would love to see that change. Um, I mean, I think a lot more, I wish a lot of more coaches would use the sports science side of things. And I wish a lot more administrations and conferences and the NCAA level would look at sports science a lot more when it comes to that as well. So sorry, that's my long answer for you. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Uh, I remember about five years ago reading an interview with Mark Cuban, the, the team governor for Dallas Mavericks. And he was saying, he was talking about the, the progress basketball had made in analytics and data and so forth. And then he said, but when it comes to recovery, we're still in the, in, in, in the um, middle ages in terms of understanding the things that go into proper recovery. Uh, okay, last question. Um, can you share with us a meaningful message or conversation or phone call or whatever it was with a player that you coached who's now, you know, I mean, one of the best things about teaching and coaching is are those communications you get four or five years or even beyond that later where people saying, hey, you really made an impact with this or that. I don't have to use any names if you don't want to, but maybe just share a meaningful message that you've received from a, a former player. Yeah, honestly, this might sound funny, but it may go back to, I mean, we've had a few, but my, my head coaching career has been, it's young in some ways still, where a lot of my kids are fresh out of college or just a couple of years out. And I think one of my most meaningful ones was when I, you know, was I was still teaching and coaching at a high school level. And, you know, she wasn't a player that played for me, but she was a kid that, it's going to sound funny, but she wanted to be, she was, wasn't very good in the classroom. It was her, you know, wasn't, was struggling. A bunch of teachers didn't want her to be their teacher's aide. And I took her on as our teacher's aide and she wound up doing really well in my class. And 
about a year and a half ago or two years ago, she was doing her, uh, it was either grad school, maybe it was undergrad, like thesis paper for like a, like a capstone class or something. And she messaged me and she's like, Hey, I just had a long conversation with my advisor about you. And I was like, Oh goodness, this couldn't be good. What's going on. And it was something like just the fact that, you know, the belief that, you know, we instilled in her and she was actually going into education now and she's a teacher now. And she's like, that kind of changed my life course. Cause you know, everybody had pushed me aside because some of the kids I hung out with were punks and everybody thought I was too. And it was just really cool. I think for me to not only know that the impact was made in a small way, but now she's back in education and she's kind of giving back to other kids that maybe are in the same boat she had, you know, or she was in, you know, and I know you and I have probably a lot of stories like that from kids in Mississippi from our time there, you know, but just kind of seeing the, the change now, the willingness to give back to those kids that were in the same spot, I think is something that's super, I think, meaningful and just kind of reminds you, you know, why you build relationships, you know, with the, with the students, you know, you do and why you focus on more than wins, you know, because wins go away at the end of the year, but these other relationships, you know, they're there for hopefully a long time. And, you know, you can kind of celebrate those moments, you know, with those kids as they move on and, you know, get married, have kids of their own, all that fun stuff. So, you know, that was one of the moments that, you know, I always think back on just, you know, especially when you're having those tougher days or tougher conversations of, you know, we're going to keep working, we're going to keep grinding. So. Yeah, I love it. And I think for, especially for young teachers and young coaches out there, just understanding that the weight and the impact that your words have um, both positively and negatively and, you know, in a, in a side a side comment that you give to a student um, might be something that you forget the next day, but they remember it 10 years later, 20 years later. And it can sure. be a side comment that is building the student up or the player up, or it can be a side comment that's, that's tearing them down, you know, kind of back, back to what I was telling my player, you know, basketball, soccer, English, math, whatever the skill is that we're teaching, people are going to forget that or, or they're going to move on, but they're not going to forget how you made them feel. Sure. No, absolutely. Spot on. Yeah. Well, Coach Smith, if people want to follow along with your journey and your team, how can they do it? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, um, I would actually have to look. I don't remember. <laughs> you don't even I know am, your Twitter I'm, feed or anything. I'm really bad with all this stuff, right? <laughs> so um, my assistant mostly runs our social media, to be honest with you. But our, um, our, uh, our Twitter is the same as our Instagram. And uh -huh. it's just RSUW soccer, you know, has all of that. And then, you know, my own, which I'm really bad at using as, as much as I should. But my own is just, uh, let's see real quick so I don't mess it up. It's just Coach Josh underscore Smith, um, you know. But uh, but yeah, and, and, our, and, our and the, the last tweet was from 2016, probably. Probably something like <laughs> that. Yeah, something like that. So I'm never. I always think I'm gonna use it more, and then I'm. I don't. Nah, so yeah, it's, it sounds to me like you're focused on the right stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. So that was my interview with Josh Smith. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. Have a great day.